welcome to episode two. So, Larry, what are we going to talk about today? Uh, we're going to talk about just what goes on in cybersecurity, like some of the uh, attacks that goes on, okay. who are some of the main culprits behind it, some of the the actual ransomware that, that, that they're using and stuff like that, and maybe some of the things that you can do to prevent it. And I know you had some specific questions about, uh, you know, how to get into cybersecurity. You had a, a question, I believe, about some of the roles. I want to get into that today, too, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because since I'm since I'm a newbie, uh, I would like to just understand, like, uh, like what are some of the jobs in cybersecurity? What a uh, you know, what do you do in cybersecurity? I, you just don't just defend. I think it's other stuff you do. Right. That's right. There's a lot. So uh, so let's dive right in. So. One of the things we're talking about is um, penetration testing. So that's a, that's an entire job. Um, so when you think about all the jobs in cybersecurity, um, I want you to think about penetration testing, the, the skill of penetration testing, as the Navy SEAL Team 6. Okay. So they are, they are the elite group that companies pay a lot of money to pay them to see if they're vulnerable. So... Uh, let's say I am Starbucks or Ford, right? right? And I don't want to get hacked. So what do I do? I hire a company of penetration testers to see if they can break in. Right. And if they can break in, what they do is they build a report of how they broke in. So what were my vulnerabilities? What do I need to patch? What do I need to fix? How did they get in, right? So if you think about it, it's pretty brilliant. You know, it's you, very you, smart. You want to know where your weaknesses are? You hire the penetration testers, and they will usually be able to get in. They will, if you give them enough time, they'll get in. They'll be able to get in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it kind of depends on the length of the project. You know, if you only give them a day, you know, and and you've done a really good job, it, it may be difficult. Right. Um, but there's uh, there's a few people I follow on Twitter, Larry, that uh, joke about um, getting in before noon. Yeah. So, what other uh, so what other uh, career kind of questions do you have on cybersecurity? What other uh, positions are forensic analysts? Okay. So, forensic analysts are the CSI in uh, cybersecurity. There's a crime that's occurred. They need to figure out uh, what the damage was. Um, when did it happen? Right. Right. Um, what exactly occurred? Step by step or timeline? Um, okay. Ideally. If possible, who did it? So that obviously you can prevent that same person from hitting you again. again. So it's the who, what, when, where, why, and how. And uh, they are, I would say, equally as skilled. I know that some people on you know listening may disagree with me. Equally skilled as a penetration tester. Yeah. It's a different type Tough. of... It's more um, tedious, right? They, it's extremely tedious. It's at the, it's at sometimes the byte level, like like the binary ones and zeros. You know the 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 code decompiling and deconstructing code. code. So, for example, we talked about on episode one, we talked about Emotet and Trickbot. Right. So sometimes what they'll do is they'll basically get a copy of that. And they'll put it in a sandbox, so basically an isolated computer, and see exactly how it works, what files does it change, what registry, which IP addresses does it communicate with. They get a full understanding of it, but then they go deeper than that. They'll actually take the code and they'll rip it apart, and they'll look at every line and and understand um, this has a linguistic similarity to 
code written by this other group, and therefore maybe the groups actually uh, work together. I mean, when you think about, I was watching a, a YouTube episode on the Zodiac Killer, and they're looking yeah. at the the cryptographic letters that they wrote, and they compared right. them. They, there's all this science behind it. It's just like that, but for computer code malware analysis and uh, you know sometimes if you're a, if you're a forensic analyst working for like a police department you might you might get called in and you know they have a perpetrator's computer and they need to find evidence that the perpetrator had some sort of thought was there any premeditation to the crime did they plan the crime do we see uh, history in the web browser that there were searches about how to kill this person oh, okay, was yeah. they're planning it in intent that's the difference between like a first degree and a second degree murder right it's right. like there was there's was pre-intent or it was just like a crime of passion, passion just at the moment i mean if someone's planning something and they found on the computer so forensic evidence for a police department is one thing you know that that's looking at um web history because a lot of people don't realize this when you go and clear your web history it's not really cleared right that's it's still on the computer um the internet service provider like at&t they have logs um of what you searched wow google has logs of what you searched um, the DNS company has logs of what you search. So even on your cell phones? Or the whatever. NSA knows what you... Like, there's there's all kinds of organizations out there. Um, whether you searched on a cell phone, whether you searched on a computer. And so if you're working for a law enforcement agency and you're investigating a crime, you can subpoena, um, you know, if you have a, a judge, you know, and you show probable cause... You, you can subpoena and you can get records from all those various companies and and know what happened. Know what was in that person's mind, what they were searching for, you know, before that. And so um, computer forensics is oftentimes associated with a career in law enforcement or um, and there's various types of agencies that you can do that for. The Secret Service um, right. is one of the leading um, you know, forensic uh, FBI. You've got local law enforcement. You have state. Um, there's there's all sorts of uh, career fields in, in forensics. Now, if at a, if you're at a large enough company, um, or even a security a cybersecurity company, um, you can also be paid to come in and investigate. Hey, how did this you know malware hit this computer? Peter. What happened? How did it spread? And so there's you know there's an element to that. But I like to call them the CSI. You know, the yeah. crime scene investigators yeah, on the computer. That's that's how I kind of look that's at awesome. that. That's yeah. awesome. Now, I do have another question. What is a malware analyst? All right. So there's a lot of similarities um, that a malware analyst has to a forensic analyst. As a matter of right. fact, I would say that, you know, you probably would start off as a forensic analyst first before you get into um, being a specialist malware um, analyst. <clears throat> right. It'd be similar, like, if you think about a crime scene investigator... You actually have a sub um, specialty in DNA forensics. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, being good in CSI, you know, you might be able to go and take fingerprints. You might be able to, like, you know, rope off a crime scene. You might be able to basically look at, you know, shell casings and ballistics and know the type of gun it came from, all that kind of stuff. But as soon as you have a partial hair, and you know that you need to get DNA evidence off that hair, you have to send that off to a lab. 
Yeah. And the lab is the one that actually does all the science, specifically just on DNA. So, so a malware analyst is kind of like that from forensics. So the wow. crime happened. That you 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 were able to get the sample of the malware. Now you need to send it off to a specialist, and they're the ones that actually are able to do what I talked about a little bit earlier, ripping the code apart and and, and digging in and, and looking at the link. They're the wow. they're the DNA forensic folks that take it to that level. Wow. So, um, you know. At a high level, if we take a big step back, Larry, and you just talk about uh, computers in general, because we're talking about the concept, how do you get into cybersecurity, Security, right? Right. So you first have to understand the basics of how, obviously, computers work. You know, you've got the hard disk, you've got the CPU, you've got memory, right. you've got a motherboard, you've got a network card, you've got, you know, different kind of aspects to a computer, right? And then... Once you understand, obviously, how computers work at a, at a high level, you have to understand how to operate them, how to administer them, you know, and, and get pretty good at that. Once you understand that, then you can get into then, say, networking and know how packets can reach a computer, how hackers can, you know, use network packets to infiltrate or extract information, do command and control. So there's like, there's a learning curve that requires basic computer skills, some foundational network knowledge, right? Um, some understanding of applications and server infrastructure. There's, there's some building blocks. Right. And then once you understand that and, and you start, you have to then decide, am I going to become a penetration tester? Am I going to become a defender? Right. right? Am I going to become a forensic analyst? And then once you get into forensic analyst, then you might want to specialize and be like, I want to become, you know, a malware analyst and actually just completely focus on reverse engineering how malware was written. Um, you may have heard of. Uh, is, is it kind of like finding it like, like, like the cure for uh, penicillin? I mean, the, like, like the cure for the plague or something like that. It, it absolutely. That's a great analogy. So, Larry, I want to I want to tell you a quick story about um, really the face of malware uh, research recently. Uh, Marcus Hutchins, um, he was living in England at the time when WannaCry, WannaCry, which is a form of ransomware, happened in 2017. So, when this was happening, Marcus was basically researching it, and and he found um, this really interesting behavior about WannaCry, and. Uh, he saw that there was basically like this DNS kill switch wow. that the, the ransomware would not run if it was able to connect to a particular domain name on the internet. Oh, wow. So he basically registered the domain name wow. and then WannaCry stopped spreading around the world. So this was a global event. WannaCry was, was spreading fast and furious. It had already infiltrated thousands of computers and then all of a sudden, it stopped like that. And this was the guy that saved the world from wow. what could have been significantly worse, right? So he's basically a hero. Right. And this really, he, he is the face of malware uh, research and reverse engineering because he found that WannaCry was making this call to this domain name that didn't exist. So he thought, well, what if I just go buy that? domain name he did and then the malware stopped spreading and so wow, he got crazy. a lot of attention though have you ever noticed the first uh people that the police suspect is the person who calls 911 yeah so usually that that was hap 
Yeah, so usually that happens because they're like, okay, well, yeah, well, let's 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 check that guy. Why is why are they calling? That's right. So all of a sudden, there was a lot of scrutiny on this guy. Wow. And they um, they basically U.S. law enforcement looked into him a little bit and thought this is interesting. Um, we think he's actually responsible for writing some uh, some malware code. They looked at his linguistic kind of language and he said, yeah, we, we think this guy's actually written malware before. So it's, it's possible. I, I, I'm not judging Marcus whatsoever, but I think that there's a human tendency when you're exposed to enough um, malware, there's probably a temptation. You know what? I could probably do this. I could probably make some money at this. Right. I, I could probably get into a bank. Wow. And I think I could probably not get caught. Yeah. So when, when you're looking at someone else's code for years and years and, and figuring out how it works, there's probably that temptation. Of actually and doing the crime. Yeah. Now, I don't, I don't know his current status, but, um, you know, earlier this year I was at, I was at a conference and, and he came in and uh, he was up on stage, you know, for a moment. And I think at that time uh, his status was kind of unclear, but <clears throat> I know that. Uh, he came to the United States for a security conference, and then the FBI uh, basically told him he couldn't go back home to, to England because he was under investigation. So they wouldn't wow. let him leave the country uh, because they had, you know, this probable cause that he he actually had written some malware. So here's the hero of the world uh, who's now under some, you know, scrutiny for, for some some crimes he's, you know, uh, yeah, the, alleged to have, uh, you know, committed. So anyway, I just thought I'd give you a face to to this. Uh, you know, concept, concept. of, of yeah, that's research. a nice tidbit there. That was that was very nice. I mean, I I, I mean, you know, I I feel personally, you know, maybe you have to create something to to see how you can actually, you know, defend against it. Mm. So maybe that's what he was doing. I mean, yeah, we don't know his his motivation, right, or his intent. So you you really touched on something I want to I want to dig into a little bit. <clears throat> Um, you mentioned you have to create something in order to defend against it, and I couldn't agree more. When, when we're going to talk about on a future episode building a lab, you have to learn how to hack in order to learn how to defend against it. Your instinct spot on. The way to become a really good defender in cybersecurity is to learn the techniques and tactics of the adversary. Right. For example... Um, if you own a Tesla today, right, and you want to make sure that your Tesla does not get broken into, um, it might be really good to research how people are breaking into Teslas. Right. So that you can actually learn how to defend against it. Um, there's these techniques you may have heard. This is kind of a crazy analogy. Um, but uh, there's people that can go and scan your wallet. So if you're in a big crowd, they can scan your wallet and they can actually... Um, process payments against your the cards that are in your wallet just by scanning they could brush up against you in a crowd right and just the knowledge that that type of attack exists caused me to buy a different type of wallet that has a, a shield inside of the wallet to protect itself from being scanned oh that's crazy right so but you you wouldn't necessarily know about the need to defend against that Unless you knew that that attack was possible. 
So in cybersecurity, same thing. You have to learn about the attacks in order to know how to defend against them, right? Right. That's the purpose of the lab. The purpose of the lab and the reason why it's so important, if you want to get into a career in cybersecurity, I highly recommend building a lab. This is where you will learn how to um, defend the system from the attacks that people are using. You'll it's get a lot more hands-on. Experience. It's hands-on. That's how you gain expertise and experience. Right. Yeah, that's everything. Absolutely. That's everything. Yeah, I, yeah, I know I get that. I, I, I know I was talking to a coworker at work, and I was just explaining to him that, you know, anything smart can be hacked. Mm-hmm. From, from your car oh, to yeah. your to your TV or whatever. You know, I find myself, Larry, uh, uh, choosing carefully not to buy um, smart uh, or they call it IoT, Internet of Things, things that are connected to the Internet. Right. Um, you know, like my, my home uh, camera security system is not connected to the Internet. Because you, you may have seen some headlines recently People that have like the Ring uh, camera system, yeah, hackers can you know have been getting into those and watching people and talking to their kids, like really scary stuff, right? Right. So you know, buying things for your home that are not connected to the internet, um, because like you said, perfect instinct there, Larry. Anything that's like smart or connected to the internet can be breached, can, can be, be hacked. Breached. Absolutely, it's only right. a matter of time, and it's because. Humans wrote the code. Humans are not perfect. We're all flawed. Right. So you get, you know, a well-intentioned programmer who has this deadline to write some code, and they may not have any motivation or incentive to make sure that that code can't be hacked, right? And so they write code with, uh, with flaws. Or at the time, maybe it was really good. But then later on, some kind of underlying uh, part of that computer um, had a vulnerability. So maybe it wasn't their code, but it was something that the platform was on that, that had vulnerability. So, you know, absolutely. So the, uh, you know, the kind of getting back here to kind of general, um, uh, you know, different kind of positions. So we talked about penetration testing. We talked about malware analysis. Are there any other kind of jobs that kind of pique your curiosity about, you know, what possible fields to get into? Yeah, you got a, um, <clears throat> you got one that I, that I think that's very interesting. It's called a, a secured software development manager. Okay. So, you know, we've, we've kind of talked about these individual contributor roles, like a malware researcher, you know, penetration tester. There's also management opportunity, you know, in cybersecurity, um, I saw something that said there's like 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. Mm -hmm. We need good managers to manage all these people. Right. So with with the growth of the cybersecurity uh, field, there's an equal need to have talented leaders to lead the people that are directly. So management, as you know, from first-hand experience, you're a manager. You know that um, you don't necessarily have to know all the technical details of what people are doing, but you have to know what the company's goals, missions are, uh, key performance indicators, how to guide and direct and lead people. And so if you have just general concepts in security and you kind of just know these general big things and you're a leader, companies need strong leaders to lead these folks and develop you know, reports, um, have them basically be on track for the mission. And so 
Um, there's a lot of arguments out there to be a manager of um, secure software development. Software, yeah. You don't you don't necessarily have to know how to write code to be a good manager. Now, um, it helps if you come from that background so you can appreciate um, you know what it takes to write code, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes programmers don't make good managers. They're not they're not always people you know people yeah. uh, persons, right? Right. Yeah. So in my experience, um, the uh, a programmer sort of mindset does not necessarily always translate to being a good manager, and so therefore, um, I think you know a, a healthy IT organization has a mix of different kind of personalities and skill sets, and so for that particular role. Anytime I, hit, I see manager in the title, yeah. it's typically not a hands-on person, but they need to they need to they need to know um, a little bit of history of, of software development life cycle. You know, you you uh, you know plan out the code, you um, test it, you deploy it to a uh, a development environment, and then you have a separate QA environment to test the code. And then you deploy it to production, so that's called software development life cycle, right? Okay. So a good manager uh, is is uh, of that is aware of what it takes to kind of take code through these various kind of test cycles before it actually gets deployed in production, and then and then there's managing bugs and fixes and enhancements <laughs> and that sort of thing. So um, I would say if you like computer programming and code, that would be a good group. Of, of uh, people to manage that that's right. kind of what that role uh, is about interesting interesting yeah. I do have one more I definitely want to ask you on as a cyber defender yeah okay so this is where I'm drawn to naturally um, a, a defender is you want to proactively um, find the vulnerabilities in your system and get them patched so, for example, um, Windows has, on the second Tuesday of every month, uh, has security patches that come out. So as a cyber defender, what you do is you take those patches, you get them on all your Windows systems, right? And then if you have Macintosh computers in the environment, you need to make sure that any patches from Apple get deployed to all those computers. And uh, there's other operating systems sometimes, um, like Linux is another type of operating system. Right. And so as a cyber defender, you need to make sure that your Linux systems have been patched and have computer patches applied to them. So as a cyber defender, one of the first things you want to do is make sure that all your computers are patched. Um, because if they're not patched, remember we're talking about on episode one, zero day code. Yeah. The code comes out and it's going to exploit... Uh, vulnerable computers. Well, what makes those computers vulnerable? It's the fact that they don't have the patch. Well, on a zero day, there's no patch yet, but it typically a zero day is exploiting computers that uh, are kind of behind in their updates. So okay, as, yeah. So as a defender, the first thing you want to do, you want to do a software inventory and figure out, okay, do I know all my machines on the network? Do I have a good inventory of them? Once I have a good inventory of them, what version of Windows are they running? Are they running Windows 7, Windows 8, Windows 10? Right. Okay, if they're running Windows 10, are they configured to get these security patches that come out on the second Tuesday of every month? Or are some of them 
like broken and not getting their updates? How far behind in their updates are they? Because if you have one computer that hasn't been updated in six months, something's wrong with that computer where it's not getting its updates on the second Tuesday of every month. Every month, right. So then you've got to dispatch a separate person. Typically, a cyber defender is not the person that fixes those problems. They're going to send out a help desk person or a uh, desktop engineer to actually go and mm-hmm. fix that. And then, and then the, the defender will run another uh, security report and go, okay, that machine is now reporting in. It's now healthy. I'm going to move on to the next one. So generally what you're trying to do, you have like this uh, goal where you want less than 5% of your computers. I'm just kind of making that up. Every organization is going to have different. But you're going to want like less than 5% of your overall computer population to be behind on their security updates. If you can get like 95% of all your machines up to where they're all caught up on their um, you know, on the patch updates. level, yeah. then that's what you report to your, C- your CISO, Chief Information Security Officer. Mm-hmm. They're, the, they're the top leader in a security department. The CISO is the one that's going to be asking uh, this, this group, the cyber defenders, are all my machines patched, right? Because right. the CISO, they're, they're all about trying to manage risk. What's the risk that my organization has right now based on the patch levels against the threats, you know, that are out there? So that's one component of a cyber defender. Another component of a cyber defender is to research um, the, um, the ways that an intruder might come in. So in my opinion, a good cyber defender has a part of their skill set of um, being able to be an attacker if they needed to be. Right. Because how can you defend? We talked about this a little bit uh, earlier. How can you actually be a good defender uh, if you um, don't know what the attacks are? So now that we've kind of, you know, talked about some of these roles there, I'm really curious to know about you. You know, we've talked about a few of these different things. So, so far, what's appealing to you? Um, Oh, wow. I mean, it's such a cybersecurity is such a vast, um, you know, it's such a vast field. It's just so many things that you can do in it. And what draws me toward toward cyber cybersecurity is, I mean, I just have pa- I have the passion that's just something just in me. Just, I just want to go out there and just like you were saying earlier in our in our first segment, protecting that that old folks home or protect, protecting uh, that school with someone kids going to or something like that. I think it's the pr- protection aspect of yeah. it. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I wouldn't want anyone to, you know, hack someone's private computer at home and is looking at this person or something like that. How right. do we stop that? You know, I, I have a daughter. I yeah. have kids, yeah. you know, and I wouldn't want no one to, you right. know, we got to pay Five thousand, six thousand dollars in ransom because they downloaded something, right. some ransomware or something like that. Right, right. So so far, it sounds like maybe the cyber defender role. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at the cyber defender role. I, I do love that. I love the I love the CSI part of it. You know, to just yeah. digging in deep and maybe finding that criminal or the way they did it. I mean, it's just it's 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 a lot. It's it's a lot of things right right now. That I'm, I'm interested in cybersecurity. I just got to figure out 
to, to narrow it down to which one. I do like the Navy SEAL thing too, the penetrators, because I know I'm doing it legal. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a right. good hacker. I can yeah. just hack in. But, um, yeah, I, I think I, I like the CSI probably more than yeah. all of them. Yeah, the, you know, that part. The, uh, the, the part you mentioned about, you know, if you, if you like hacking, you can get paid to do it legally. Uh, we call that ethical hacking. And right. there's actually a certification, Certified Ethical Hacker, uh, right. that you can actually uh, get certified um, in that. Oh, but wow. there's, there's another type of uh, uh, security uh, where it's kind of on that line of, of gray area here of breaking into things and getting paid. And it's, it's actually physical security. So there's actually a role where you get to break into a building to test the physical security of, of the building. So that's, you know, very interesting kind of career. Um, but Hey, let's talk about what we're going to do next week. Larry, what, uh, what do you want to learn uh, next time? Yeah. So Joe, we want to, because you have all this vast like knowledge about cybersecurity and stuff, uh, I think the listeners will be interested interested in how long you actually been in cybersecurity. How long you been working with it? Okay, cool. So let's talk about that uh, next week. Thank you for tuning in, and uh, look forward to uh, talking to you guys all next week. <laughs>